He was the second highest drafted Zag of all time when he went ninth overall to the Washington Wizards in 2019, but mental health issues limited him to just 42 games in his third NBA season. What does the future hold for Rui Hachimura? More on that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. All right, we are continuing our Zags in the NBA season preview series. For those who missed it last week, we talked about Andrew Nembhard and what his rookie season with the Indiana Pacers might look like today. After doing a poll on Twitter, we landed on Rui Hachimura for my second series, excuse me, second episode in this series talking about all of the Zags in the NBA. We got to start it early. There's still six weeks into the until the NBA season starts, but with player preview series for the actual players on Gonzaga's roster coming up and with nearly with 10 plus Zags in the NBA, we got to start talking about these guys early. So we're going to talk about Rui Hachimura today. Segment one is going to be a look at his history, how he got where he is Segment two, best case and worst case scenarios for how Rui's fourth season in the NBA might go next year. And then finally, we'll round out the show looking at his expected role, his expected production, and his upcoming free agency and what that could look like as well. We'll start with the history. Rui came to Gonzaga way back in 2016 with pretty minimal fanfare. He was a Japanese recruit. Obviously, he was the top recruit in the state in the country of Japan, one of the highest rated recruits to ever come out of Japan. So when I say relatively little fanfare, he was getting a lot of attention internationally, and he was getting some attention when he came to Gonzaga, but he was really raw. There just wasn't a lot really known about who he was and what he was kind of going to become as a basketball player. And we didn't really get a good glimpse of that in year one. He played in 28 games for the Zags during that 16-17 season. I think a lot of people, even diehard Gonzaga fans when asked who was on that championship roster, the team that lost to North Carolina. A lot of people aren't going to remember that Rui Hachimura was on that roster because he played less than five minutes per game. He averaged less than three points per game. He played almost exclusively in garbage time. And for those who do remember watching some of those late game situations where Rui came in the game, he was incredibly raw. He was struggling to learn the language. He was struggling to learn the plays. These are things that Mark Few and others have talked about since then. We're not postulating that. We know for a fact that this was something that Rui was struggling with early in his collegiate career. And you could kind of tell when he came into the game at the end. He didn't necessarily know where to go or where to be, but he had highlight level athleticism. When he got out in transition, he was an absolute wrecking ball. And it was clear that the potential for Rui was absolutely there. And we saw a significant amount of it as soon as year two. The 2017-2018 season, Rui saw his playing time explode. He went from four and a half minutes per night to just under 21 minutes per night. He played in 37 games for that 17-18 team. Like I said, about 21 minutes per game. He made a pair of starts 
that season as well. And he averaged 11.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, shot just under 61% on two-pointers, was very, very efficient in the low post, was very efficient out in transition, and was a very, very good mid-range shooter. He has been that his entire career at Gonzaga in the NBA. His mid-range game is nearly unstoppable. He did struggle from beyond the arc, though, in year two. He shot under 20% from three. That was something that scouts were certainly looking to see more of from him heading into his third season. And we did. We saw just about everything that Rui Hechimura had to offer in year three. It was a tremendous, one of the best individual single seasons in Gonzaga basketball history. Rui in year three, the 2018-2019 team with Brandon Clark, that incredible roster, that team that should have gone farther than they did with that very, very distressing loss to Texas Tech. In the Elite Eight, Rui, 37 games, all of them starts, played 30 minutes per night, averaged just under 20 points per game, 19.7 to be specific for Rui in year three, six and a half rebounds, one and a half assists. He shot an equal 60.6% on two-pointers. That's the exact same that he shot in year two, so equally as efficient from inside the arc but twice as good from beyond the arc. In fact, more than twice as good from beyond the arc. As a junior, he shot 42% from three. I don't know if scouts could have asked him to do any more than he did in year three. He took the weaknesses that he had early in his career. He expanded on them. He made himself significantly better. And all that led to him getting selected ninth overall in the 2019 NBA draft. At the time, no player from Gonzaga had gone higher except for Adam Morrison, who was, of course, the third overall pick in the 2006 NBA draft. Dan Dickow did not go higher. Zach Collins did not go higher. DeMontis Sabonis did not go higher. Of course, John Stockton did not go higher. Austin Day, none of those guys were higher selected players in the NBA draft than Rui Hachimura was in 2019. Of course, that record has been broken since then. He is now the fourth highest Zag selected of all time after Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren. Both went higher than he did in their respective drafts. But Rui came into the NBA with a lot of fanfare, a lot of expectations that he could develop into a potential all-star. And while he hasn't been that yet, it's important to remember he's still 24 years old. He's very, very young, especially for a guy who played three years of college basketball. He is younger than many people might expect him to be. His first two seasons in the NBA were nearly identical. It's actually kind of frightening how similar his first two years in the NBA were. He started every single game in his first two years. He averaged about 30 minutes per game in those two seasons, averaged 13.7 points, just under six rebounds, about one and a half assists. We saw his two-point percentage come down, which is not surprising. If you shoot 61% in, the, in college basketball, primarily against the WCC, It's going to be a little bit harder to score at that level, at that efficiency in the NBA, but he's still about 51% on two-pointers. You're going to take that. For a guy, a 6'8 guy, slightly undersized four, that's kind of the role that he's been playing. For him to finish around the rim at over 50%, for him to finish well in the mid-range, that's still pretty excellent. For a guy like Rui Hachimura, he was 31% on threes in his first two years, so that was an area that we didn't really see him mature, didn't really see that outside shot show up. This has kind of been something that has happened with some Gonzaga players in the past where because they don't ask the bigs to shoot a lot of threes at Gonzaga, you don't see them. A lot of guys end up becoming good three-point shooters. Kelly Olenek's a good example. Zach Collins is a good example. But it often takes a while. 
it's not surprising to see Gonzaga guys struggle a little bit with with the outside shot when they get into the league. He's about 80% free throw shooter, though, in those first two seasons. Really had cemented himself as a long-term starter, a high-level role player, borderline all-star caliber guy through those first two seasons. What happened after that, though, kind of changed his trajectory quite a bit. He participated in the Olympics in his home country of Japan. He was a flag bearer for Japan representing his home country. The Olympics happened in Japan. It was a massive deal. He was a tremendous celebrity, one of the most iconic figures in the entire Olympics because basketball is such a big sport, because he's such a huge figurehead in the country of Japan, particularly when it comes to basketball, because the event happened in in Japan. And the, the Japanese team didn't do all that well. And they weren't really expected to do all that well. Rui is one of the best players to ever come out of Japan, and he is fantastic. But A team with Rui as the best or one of the best players is probably not going to do extremely well in Olympic qualifiers. And they they didn't. They ended up losing a little bit earlier than anticipated, didn't get to participate as long as many had hoped. And Rui took this really hard. There's not a ton. He hasn't spoken super publicly about it yet. Uh, Perhaps more will come out later, but really it's his story to tell. So it's not it's not up to us to determine when when that story comes out. But what we know is that Rui suffered from some mental health issues and ultimately didn't report to his NBA season until midway through the year. He sat out the first few months of the NBA season. He didn't participate in the preseason, in training camp, anything like that, because he was he was struggling. He was struggling with mental health. He, he, he didn't have the love for the game of basketball as he had previously. The Olympics played a part in that. Perhaps there was more to it than that as well. We don't know all of the details here, but ultimately he eventually returned to Washington. He played in 42 games uh, with the Wizards in year three. He only made 13 starts, though, as the first time in his career, at least in his NBA career, where he was not a starter. Uh, 13 games at the start, 29 games off the bench. He still played a lot of minutes. He played about 20 minutes, 23 minutes per game, excuse me. Average 11 and a half points, four rebounds, about an assist, shot 51% on two-pointers. So again, stayed very, very consistent as a scorer inside the arc. But there was a huge difference for Rui in his third NBA season. He shot 44.7% from three. That is 13% higher than his first two seasons combined. 44% from three. Small sample size, half a season. He wasn't taking a bunch of threes per game. But still, to go from 31% in your first two years to 45% in your third season, that is definitely notable. And it's something we're going to talk about a lot in the second segment. We're going to come back. We're going to evaluate his best case scenario for year four, his worst case scenario for year four, what this all might look like as he enters a contract season. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Upside. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts. And it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. The app is crazy easy to use, and there's no catch. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business. Pay as usual with a credit card or a debit card and you get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars per week. 
That's part of why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using code LOCKED. All right, segment two. Still any Pilots, still Locked on Zags. And I want to thank you all who have made Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. And thank those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. If you haven't yet, go to YouTube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. We have a goal, a shared goal here, Locked on Zags. We want to get to 1,000 subscribers before the start of the college basketball season. November 7th, North Florida, that is the start, two months away. Need about 150. 40 or so followers to get there. I know many of you are listening to the show and haven't hit that subscribe button. It is very, very warmly appreciated if you are able to do so. All right, segment two, we're talking Rui Hachimura again. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, year four, his contract season. We'll talk a lot more about what that contract season might mean in the third segment. But for right now, I want to focus on what the best case scenario is for Rui Hachimura in year four. The best case scenario for Rui, quite frankly, is that those improvements as an outside shooter remain. I don't think that if he were to play a full 82-game schedule, play 25-30 minutes per night, that he's going to shoot 45% from three. That would be very, very surprising, probably a little higher than what I would deem the best case scenario, although it depends on volume. If he's only taken one three per game, he might be able to knock down 42-44% of them. But my suspicion is that after seeing him shoot about 45% last year, the Wizards are hoping that he's going to be more of an outside threat this year. Maybe three and a half attempts per game, maybe four, four and a half attempts per game. If he's shooting that high of a volume from beyond the arc, he's probably not going to shoot 45%. But in a best case scenario, he's at least close to that. His three-point percentage starts with a four. That's your best case scenario. We're talking about a guy who, again, was 31% in his first two NBA seasons. For him to be at 40% in year four, for him to be at 40% for two straight seasons after not being a particularly great three-point shooter early in his career, that is tremendous. That is a huge benefit to Washington. It's a huge benefit to his potential free agency, his ability to space the floor. Rui's a small ball four. He doesn't play the three in the NBA. He doesn't really play the five in the NBA. He's a four. And for him to be able to stretch the floor, to force defenses to come out on him, to be more of a weapon as a pick-and-pop player, potentially a pick-and-roll player as well, the outside shooting needs to stick. If he looks back like he's a 31-32% three-point shooter again, that allows defenses to sag off of him. It makes his ability to drive to the rim, which is something he's very good at. It limits his ability to do that. It's, it's a huge issue. So for Rui, the best case scenario is pretty simple. It starts with that. It starts with his ability to knock down open outside looks very, very consistently. Beyond that, the best case scenario for Rui Hachimura is that we see continued improvement defensively. Rui hasn't been a great defensive player in the NBA. There's no, there's no beating around the bush there. He hasn't been. He has been fine. He has not been horrible. He was pretty rough early in his career. He has continued to make steady improvements defensively. And in a best case scenario, that continues to happen. We see a player who is capable of defending NBA wings. That's a big part of Rui's development as well. A big part of whether he gets a large second contract or not. Because if Rui can defend wings, 
you can play him at the three. He's not just a four. Right now, he's somewhat pigeonholed into being a small ball four, and he's a very prototypical modern NBA four. So it's not like he's playing out of position or it's weird that he's playing that position. It's very normal, and it makes a lot of sense for his current skill set. But flexibility and versatility is key. NBA teams play eight to nine guys on average. Some NBA teams may play closer to 10, but normally an NBA rotation is around nine guys. If you have can only play one position... It's a little bit harder to keep you on the roster. Rui's not in danger of losing his roster spot. That would be insane. But if he's looking for a new contract, if teams are out there scouting him and they don't think he can really give them anything other than power forward minutes, that limits his earning potential. That limits his ability to be an all-star caliber player. It, It just limits him. And in a best-case scenario for Rui this year, he proves on the defensive end of the floor that he can be more than that. He can defend wings. He can play out on the perimeter. He's a good He's good at handling defensive assignments on the pick and roll. He can handle all of that stuff. And if he can do that and he can shoot 40-plus percent from three or at least over 38% from three, all of a sudden you're looking at a guy who's an elite 3 and D player. He's an elite role player. And I use the, the term role player a lot, and I've said this caveat on the podcast before. Some people interpret role player differently than I do. I don't interpret role player as meaning not a star or like just, you know, a bench guy or anything like that. I interpret role players like you're not a primary ball handler. You're not a super high usage rate guy. You're a guy who fills a role. In Rui's case, small ball four, high level outside shooter, good defensive player. That's a role. And that's a very valuable role. A role that every team in the NBA is coveting. Every single team wants a guy who can do what Rui is capable of doing in this best case scenario. I think the best case scenario for Rui looking specifically at this Washington roster, he's probably still coming off the bench. Kyle Kuzma is going to start at the four. Chris Stapps Porzingis is going to start at the five. And according to most of the, the depth charts that are out there right now, Corey Kispert's going to start at the three. Now, there's some question on whether how exactly all that's going to work, where Rui's going to fit in. They have Daniel Gafford in the mix as well. They have Vernon Carey in the mix. They have a lot of guys that are somewhat in the mix for playing time in the front court. Last year's minutes were just all over the place for Washington. They really struggled to figure out where and how they wanted to fit everybody in. But in the best case scenario for Rui, he's playing a lot of minutes. He's maybe maybe if he maybe he sneaks into the starting lineup, bumps Kyle Kuzma down to the three, bumps Corey Kispert out into the bench roll. Not super fun for Gonzaga fans that those two guys are potentially competing for one starting spot, but it definitely could happen for Rui again. He started every game in his first two seasons. So there's no debate that Washington views him as a potential starter if he performs at the level that he's capable of performing. In a best case scenario, he does that. He's a starting player. He's playing 30 plus minutes per night. And he goes into the offseason either with an extension already in hand with the Washington Wizards or the opportunity to earn a whole lot of money in free agency. What's the worst case scenario for Rui Hachimura? Well, once again, it starts with the outside shooting. Last year's outside shooting was a mirage. That's the worst case scenario for Rui Hachimura. Him shooting 45% in a limited role without taking very many threes in a season where he didn't start till halfway through, all of that is a bit of a mirage. He just got hot. He just had a hot streak. And for this next season, worst case scenario, he's back to being a 31, 32% three-point shooter. Maybe he's taking more threes because he was better at it last year. So now you have a guy who's a higher volume shooter who's not productive. That's bad. And that's not going to endear him to Washington in his contract year. That's going to potentially cause him to lose playing time if he's 
consistently taking outside shots and not knocking them down. If that percentage drops 10 to 15% from what it was last year, that's going to make some people pretty angry. It's going to be frustrating for fans. It's going to be frustrating for Rui. It's going to be frustrating for teammates. And it could lead to him not playing as many minutes as he's accustomed to. In another worst case scenario, Rui's defense is still a pretty big question mark. His ability to defend players out on the wing is heavily in question. And, and right now it kind of is. So the worst case scenario is we don't see improvements there. Rui is not a guy that you can really play at the three for an extended period of time because he can't handle it defensively. That's your worst case scenario right there. Rui is a borderline 32, 33% outside shooter, not a guy that you really have to respect out there all that much. And he's a bit more of a turnstile defensively, at least out on the perimeter. That makes him much tougher to play. That limits him to being a, a purely power forward, maybe a small ball five if you think you can get away with that, but that's going to be tough for him just because of his limitations size-wise. So you have a guy who's mostly just a four, who's not much of a stretch four. He's more of a low post scoring four or mid-range scoring four. And there's just not a huge need for that kind of player. Washington's still going to play him. He's not going to get buried on the bench the way that some other guys might. But if Kyle Kuzma's playing well, if Corey Kispert's playing well, if Chris Tapps Porzingis is healthy and playing well, there's potentially not a ton of playing time open for Rui. He's still the fourth guy in that group, but there's Daniel Gafford in the mix. There's Denny Avdijas in the mix. There's a lot of other guys in the mix. Like I said, Vernon Carey's there as well. I don't think most of those guys are going to take playing time away from Rui. But if the season starts going on and the Wizards are like, you know what? I don't think that this is a guy we're going to re-sign. I, I don't think that he, we have the budget or the desire to bring him back at the amount of money that he's going to be commanding on the free agent market. It would make sense for Washington to be like, well, let's see what we have in Afdija. Let's see what we have in, in Kispert playing more minutes at the four. Let's see what we have in Daniel Gafford. Whatever it may be, they may opt to take a closer look at some of those pieces. This is a team that it's hard to say right now how competitive they'll be, but it's not crazy to imagine a situation where in February the Wizards are out of contention. They're looking like a team that's not going to make the playoffs, or even if they do, they're going to be a play-in game team. They're looking towards the future. They're looking at what their future pieces are going to look like, and they don't necessarily see Rui as a part of that. That's not necessarily a horrible situation. Rui signing elsewhere after this year may be a positive thing because Washington is a bit of a chaotic team, and they haven't really figured out what they want to do with him, so he might end up in a better situation. We'll talk about that in the third segment. But in a worst-case scenario, he comes out of this year not looking new nearly as appealing to other teams as he might have uh, might have otherwise done in a better season uh, year in year four with the Washington Wizards. Now we're going to come back in the third and final segment of today's show. We're going to take a look at Rui's expected role, expected production, as you can imagine, somewhere between the best and worst case scenarios. We're also going to take a look at what his free agency might look like right after this. All right, segment three, Sonia Patton still locked on Zag, still chatting Rui Hachimura in number two of our NBA season preview series for all the Zags playing at that level. We talked about Rui's history, how he ended up in Washington. In the first segment, we talked best case, worst case scenarios for Rui in segment two. Here in the third segment, we're going to take a look at his expected role and production as he enters his fourth season and his final season on his rookie contract. 
Washington's a tough team to pin down. They did some really weird stuff with their rotation last year. Part of that was injuries. They didn't really have a point guard, but Corey Kispert, who came into the league expecting to be a small ball four, ended up starting at shooting guard for this team for a huge chunk of the season. Point is, Washington's a little hard to figure out. And Rui didn't help himself last year. To be clear, him taking time away for his mental health was important and impactful, and I think a significant step in the right direction for not just himself personally, but for NBA players as a whole in a league that really doesn't do a particularly good job of addressing mental health or talking about mental health. And so I think that what Rui did was very important and impactful. But that kind of put him in a situation where Washington didn't really know what to do with him, and it showed last year. They didn't have a significant role for him. He kind of played spotty, periodic minutes. Sometimes he started, sometimes he didn't start. Sometimes he played the three, sometimes he played the four. It was a little bit chaotic. They did some. They made some nice moves this offseason. I think adding Chris Dabbs Porzingis is a nice move for this team. Uh, they, tra- they drafted Johnny Davis, who helped shore up some of their issues in the guard room. I think they're going to be a better team this year, and I think that they're going to have a more clearly defined role for Rui. But they have done some weird stuff in the past, so they're a little bit trickier to kind of predict how this is going to shake out. I expect Rui... Where the depth charts have him currently is more or less what I expect his role to be. He's going to be the backup power forward. He's going to play minutes behind Kyle Kuzma, who's going to start at the four. Chris Stapps is going to start at the five. Right now, they have Corey Kispert penciled in to start at the three. I think all of that makes sense, and I think that that allows Rui to be a sixth man, but a guy who plays a lot of minutes. Kuzma's going to play a ton of minutes, but he might play a lot of his minutes at the three. I see a situation where Rui comes in off the bench. Maybe he's the first guy off the bench. Maybe he comes in for Kispert. Kuzma slides down and plays the three, and Rui plays alongside Chris Stapps Porzingis. It's an odd pairing, but one that I think could work very well. Porzingis is a good shot blocker, which helps with some of Rui's defensive deficiencies. They're both good outside shooters, so they can really space the floor. That gives Bradley Beal, Johnny Davis, those guys more room to operate, more room to get into the perimeter because there are outside shooters out there. Speaking of that, I think Rui's going to be a good outside shooter. I don't think he's going to shoot 45% again. I don't think he's going to shoot 31% again. I know it's not a bold prediction in any way to say that he's going to be between his two extremes as an outside shooter, but Rui's shooting 37, 38% from deep on a decent volume, maybe two and a half, three, maybe even closer to four attempts per game. I think that's enough for defenses to really have to honor him, to respect him. Enough for them to have to come out on him defensively. That allows Rui to put the ball on the deck, something, again, he's very, very good at getting to the rim, finishing through contact, drawing fouls. All of that stuff is are, are things that, that Rui can do more efficiently if his outside shot is hitting. And I expect that that's going to be the case. I think last year he played about 22 and a half minutes per game. In his first two seasons, he played about 30 minutes per game. Again, I'm going to split the difference here. I think he's going to be 26, 27 minutes per game. I think it really depends, obviously, on health for many of these guys. If Porzingis misses time, that's going to change the equation. Kuzma misses time, that's very much going to change the equation. So it's a little bit hard to pin down exactly, but I think the general goal for Rui is maybe 27 minutes per night, mostly playing the four, maybe occasionally plays the three, maybe occasionally he plays a small ball five role if they feel like they can get away with that against whatever opponent they're playing. And I think we're going to see an improved outside shooter, not improved from last year, mind you, but improved from his first two seasons. I think we're going to see a player who improves defensively. I think Rui's going to be better. 
on the defensive end. He has continued to get better every single year. He's still not a super high steal rate guy, a high block rate guy. Those aren't really going to be a part of his game, but can he keep defense offensive players in front of him? Can he hedge pick and rolls accurately? Can he not get beat badly defensively? If he can do that stuff, keep guys in front of him, knock down consistent shots outside, he's going to have a nice role. He's going to be a nice role player. I don't think this is going to be a year where people are talking about Rui Hachimura future all-star or even Rui Hachimura current all-star. I don't think those things are going to happen. But I think we're going to see a player who fills a a very good role for Washington, a player who plays close to 30 minutes per night, a player who consistently knocks down outside shots, is not a liability on defense, and has some highlight real plays. I think that's what we're going to see out of Rui Hachimura. So then the big question becomes, is that going to be enough for Washington to keep him around? My answer to that question, my guess to that question is no. I don't think the Washington Wizards are going to re-sign Rui Hachimura. I think that a season like that is enough for him to really command a lot on the open market. Wings, good outside shooting players in the six foot eight range are insanely valuable in the NBA. Insanely valuable. I don't think Washington is going to invest the kind of money in Rui Hachimura that he is going to command. I think if they're interested in keeping Kyle Kuzma and Corey Kispert, they're just not going to invest in Rui. Now, Rui's an interesting player because he commands a ton of media attention. Because of his because he's Japanese, because the Japanese market is so big in basketball right now, he has his own shoe brand, like he is a brand in itself. And that makes it tough to let a player like that go. He, he brings a lot to your team outside of what he does on the court, which is already fantastic what he brings on the court, but he, he brings more than that. And that makes it tough to let a guy like that go. But I think it also means that Rui can, can really command a lot of money. He can ask for a pretty big contract, perhaps a contract that might make people raise their eyebrows if they just look at his stats and they look at his contract and think, wow, that's more money than I thought he might get. And he's going to be worth that because of the media, because of the branding, and because of the fact that he's going to be pretty young for a fourth year player or he'd be entering his fifth year who played three years of college basketball. Most of the guys who are, who are in that situation are older. Rui's going to be young. He's going to be a guy that showed improvements at every level. He showed improvements as an outside shooter improvements as a defensive player. He has the perfect build for a modern NBA big. He's going to be a lucrative player. He's going to be an attractive player on the open market. There are a lot of teams that could really show interest in Rui. And it's hard to predict what the free agent market is going to look like next year because many of these teams are going to look different. They're either going to make in-season trades. Players are going to have really good seasons. Players are going to have really bad seasons. And that's going to kind of change the equation. But right now, just looking through a few NBA rosters and kind of teams that I pay attention to, the San Antonio Spurs, the Portland Trailblazers, the Chicago Bulls, the Dallas Mavericks, every one of those teams could absolutely use a player with Rui's skill set, with his height with his positional abilities right now. And they'll almost certainly most of those teams will probably need a guy like that next year too. And if Rui's not going to re-sign in Washington, any of those teams and frankly just about 20 plus other teams, there are very few teams that couldn't use a player like Rui. There are teams that are not going to be willing to invest a multi-year contract in Rui Hachimura, but the teams that can, the teams that will, they're going to be very happy with what they get. I'm a Blazers fan. I have been unapologetic about that on this podcast. That He's a perfect player for the Portland Trailblazers. What they need, Trenton Watford is the guy who's going to play a lot of minutes at the four for the Blazers in the upcoming seasons. He's very good, and he's a, a really nice find for the Blazers. He's an undrafted free agent out of LSU, but Rui is better. 
and would be a really nice addition. The Spurs, Greg Popovich, what they do, what they did with Zach Collins last year, adding a player like Rui would be incredible. And the Bulls and Mavericks are both contending teams with championship aspirations who need to add depth and role players and really need it at the four. And if either of those teams could get their hands on Rui, potentially even in the midseason, we didn't even address on this podcast the possibility that He's entering free agency. Washington might be a bad team. They might look to trade him for some future assets, for some first-round picks, something like that. And if he's available in the free agent market and a team like Dallas or Chicago is in the hunt for a a top-four, top-five seed in the Eastern or Western Conference for those two teams and they still have a black hole at the power forward position, I expect him to be a potentially hot commodity on the trade market. And and I think whatever team gets him is going to be really, really happy with the results. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check check out my written content at scorezagscore.com. We got one more episode coming out on Friday. We got a fun guest coming on the show. Really excited about this one right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Finally, thank you again to all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.